Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. I mean, it's always fun when I have when I have Kevin Barker huh. beside me. Nice try. I mean, you know. Well, the room just got smarter. I know that. Oh, the room sure. got smarter, got better looking too, and it certainly got better dressed. <laughs> yeah, certainly got better it. dressed. John Tommy Topper. Morosi. Morosi Topper. is. <laughs> Morosi's next. This is like the next two. The, the next two days, Morosi's just going to be in a suit the whole time, uh, aren't you? That's like pretty much you correct. You basically sleep in a suit, right? Not exactly. That I'm not, you know, casting dispersion. Exactly. But you basically sleep in a suit because there could be some late breaking trades. You never know. You never know, especially on these days of the year when news is going to happen. So you just have to be prepared. Uh, John Paul Morosi of MLB Network joining us again. DMs are open. Uh, SN Jeff Blair's my uh, my Twitter handle. Uh, so first year of expanded playoffs, we all wondered what impact that would have in the market. People said then make the market crazy. Uh, you know, I had other GMs, I'm sure the same thing tell you that, you know, part of the problem is when you get too many people trying to trade for something, stuff gets bogged down and it becomes actually harder to make a deal. What's your read and what we've seen so far and how do you think the next 30 odd hours will play out? This is the year of Juan Soto, and I think that in many ways this deadline is going to be defined by when he gets traded. I, I said when. I believe he will be traded. I think it's probably 70 to 80% likelihood that he's going to move. There's just And you think that's gone up in the past couple of days, do you I not? Do. I do. Yeah. There was, how about this, the very unique conversation at Nationals Park yesterday <clears throat> in-game between Mike Rizzo, the Nationals GM, and his counterpart from the Cardinals, mm. John Mozeliak, as their teams are playing and there they were on camera in the suite, yeah. what we wouldn't give to know exactly what was being said in that conversation. But I just think that the Nationals have reached a point where they know they're not going to be able to sign them. They know they have to rebuild, and there are the right teams involved. The Cardinals probably have the best pieces of all of them, to be honest, in terms of up to the majors, close to the majors, players like Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker. You've got, obviously, current major league players like Carlson and Gorman. Uh, Libertor has already been in the major mm -hmm. league. So I think the Cardinals, in many ways, are the favorites. But the Padres are sufficiently desperate, in my estimation. And the Dodgers, we count them out at our own peril. Because think about how things unfolded last year with the Padres. They thought they had Max Scherzer right up until they didn't. Yeah. Because the Dodgers have that unique power center of arguably best roster in the major leagues, best farm system, most resources. They can make almost any trade they want, and Soto fits their roster near-term and long-term Okay, well. I need you to explain why that would affect teams like Yankees, the Blue Jays, who aren't in on him. Why, why, why does that matter that he has to go first for those teams to do what they need to do? It's a fair question, Kevin. I think it's because the secondary options, the fallbacks, are somewhat linked to those other teams. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if if the Yankees, or let's say the Dodgers, if they don't get Soto, they might turn around and get Frankie Montas with some of the same prospects that were in the conversations with Soto. Mm -hmm. And 
Montas is someone that the Yankees like, is someone that potentially the Cardinals like. And so there are all these links to, well, I can't give up, if you're the Cardinals, I can't give up Mason Wynn for Montas right now because he might be in the package going for Juan Soto. So I think we see this happen sometimes where the major piece, whether it was you Darvish a number of years ago, sort of takes up all the oxygen. And there are a lot of if-then scenarios that, that are sort of fallback options and dominoes that are literally poised to fall at any time but cannot until other choices are made. Okay, last question before I let Jeff. Uh, when do other GMs, do they have a cutoff hour? Is there a, it's like 30 hours left, somewhere around there. Is it the five-hour mark? Is it the 10-hour mark where you say just can't wait any longer? I got to make the plunge. That's a great question. And I, and I do think that that will happen Maybe not necessarily today, unfortunately for all of us who would love to see a lot of action. Yeah. Uh, but I do think there is a time, and it's different for every GM. It's different based on their tolerance of risk, their desperation. I, I think the Padres, because of how things played out for them last year, they thought they had Scherzer. They didn't. Their GM, A.J. Preller, is under a lot of pressure to finally deliver and finally get past the Dodgers, whether in the regular season or during the playoffs. So I think when you've got a really motivated buyer, at some point he might have to just sort of shrug his shoulders and move on, which I suspect he will. And he is that he is that very active person, whereas I think Andrew Friedman with the Dodgers is very patient, very, very disciplined, and if his price is met, he'll strike. If you were A.J. Preller, would you at all be concerned at this point that you are being played the way you were played for Max Scherzer by Scott Boris. Possibly. And certainly Scherzer is, is part, you know, Scherzer's part of this conversation, sort of the history there. Mm -hmm. uh, Boris obviously is incredibly influential. The number of Boris clients who are among the top candidates. I was just looking this up yesterday. Josh Bell with the Nationals, Boris client. Montas, Boris client. Uh, J.D. Martinez, Boris client. So there are a lot of different Boris clients involved here. I don't think Soto... I'll be honest, I don't think that an extension with him is even a possibility for anyone at this point in time. Like This this cannot even enter your thought process mm -hmm. because he's already turned down half a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. And so in a strange way, the numbers on him have gotten so huge that you don't even have to worry about it anymore. That's like true. Any yeah. acquiring GM is almost off the hook because if the fans say, hey, you just gave up our three best prospects to get Soto why don't you extend him? You say, listen, I've got the player through 2024. He's already turned down half a billion dollars. We just have to let this thing play out because the numbers are so astronomical that he's already turned down that, that I think any credible pressure on a fan base to sign him will be mitigated by that. It's just not realistic right now. Uh, Shohei Otani, is there any fuel behind that fire? I think the chances of him being traded are significantly lower than Soto. They're non-zero, but they're a lot lower than Soto. So I would say maybe a 10 to 20% chance he's traded. I do believe, and we we all know Perry Manassian through his time with the Blue Jays, mm -hmm. knowing Perry as we do, I suspect he and his staff are, are workshopping what this trade could look like. And if I, if Perry was sitting here and had to tell us the truth... I think he would tell us that he would certainly trade Otani if the right deal came along, but that's a very different conversation than for ownership, which any I don't think wants any to. Any chance he re-signs with the Angels? Because if that answer is no, 
Why wouldn't you trade him? I, I think the answer is no, Kevin, but I think the reason why you're not going to trade him is he is so unique and so inextricably linked to the way that they do business. You have the most marketable player that this sport has seen in a generation, probably since Griffey. And so at that point in time, you are still, even though you're in Orange County, you're still in the second largest market in the United mm -hmm. States. There's a certain obligation to, if your fans are still showing up to watch him play, that you honor that charter, if you will, and, and fulfill the obligation to put the very best player on the field for you. I, I totally agree with you, Kevin. In a vacuum, you trade him today. Mm -hmm. You would trade Shohei Otani today but you are not in a vacuum and the business reality is such that I think the angels feel compelled to keep. So him even here. though you're not winning, you're making so much money off of him. You don't want to trade him or you can't trade it. Is, is can't a too big of a word or you don't I, want I to trade him. Don't want to is probably, yeah. I mean, can't to your point, can't is a very strong word. It and is. I think if, if Artie Moreno really believed that this was the best thing for the organization, he would consider it. But the angels right now, guys, they're stuck. You have Mike Trout with a back issue of some severity. We don't really know exactly what's going on, really, but it's not good. He's not playing. Right. <laughs> it's it's not good. And then Anthony Rendon has an issue with his with his hand, and who knows where that goes in the future. And they have no depth organizationally. Yeah. They are not a deep team. So when you line up all of these reasons, it's going to take them a long time to be competitive again in the same division as the Astros, consider how deep the Astros pitching is. Consider how much the Mariners have evolved. They're just not, the Angels are not going to be able to compete there with or without Otani in the next year. And I just think ownership right now would have to be thoroughly convinced by Perry Manazian that they must make this trade, especially if the team that's most equipped or most interested in trading for him is their immediate neighbor to the north, mm -hmm. the Dodgers, mm -hmm. or their immediate neighbor to the south and the Padres? Yeah, I part of me, when I look at Shohei Otani at this trade deadline, one of the things we've talked about is how would you value Shohei Otani? He's a combination of what? Matt, Matt Olson and, and pick, pick a pitcher. And I, part of me wonders, John, if what Perry Manassian and the Angels aren't doing right now is this is the first time they've had to figure out what the market value for right. Shohei Otani is, right? So this, if nothing else, should give them a baseline going into the offseason. Because, you know, that's how GMs work. You know, they put a player on the market. You know, Ross Atkins has talked about this. Teams do this. You put a player on the market or you talk to GMs, and part of it is you're trying to figure out how other teams value that player. And that may be what this is. They, this may be more than anything else, an information gathering mm -hmm. process. So if you're Perry Manassi and you sit down in the offseason, you go to Artie Moreno and saying, look, this was the best offer that we had for Shohei Otani at the deadline. It's the offseason. We think we can get more for him. And I and I, I wonder if that isn't really what we're seeing with Otani because I'm I don't I think Otani's gone, but I just to me that's an offseason move. Mm -hmm. And if you wait in the offseason, then you're bringing in other teams. Washington Nationals have new ownership. The Washington Nationals may say, we need a face of the franchise. Shohei Otani, let's go. Pillage our minor league system, what's ever left of it. So, you know, I, that's the way I've kind of viewed the Otani situation all along. And I wanted to ask you this. Otani and Soda, do you think the Jays are involved in any way? 
See, because I think maybe with Otani, if he's traded in the offseason, I think that's when the Jays really go in and, and, and say, okay, let's try to figure out what we can do here. Well, both of them, first of all, they're both incredible talents. Both of them fit what the Jays need directly because they, they probably still need one more starting pitcher right. and they need to get more left-handed at the plate. Okay. So both of them are, are significant mm-hmm. left-handed bats. So that's exactly what they need. Now, with respect to what the package would be, mm-hmm. I believe, based on what I've been told in the last couple of days, that the Jays are, they've maybe dipped their toe in there. There's been some interest, but they're not significantly involved on Soto at the moment because what I believe is to be involved, they would have to trade Bo Bichette. Mm-hmm. He would have to be the piece. Even though, irony of ironies, he's actually older than Soto. Right. How but, about that? But he's a guy that but, comes in. You've got control. He's certainly be the face of your, your franchise. franchise. Correct. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he, they need right now position players. And I think for the Nationals' perspective, they would rather have Bo than Teoscar or Gurriel. I think mm-hmm. that's probably where they're at right now. So I just think based on where the Jays are, unless you are able to make a second move, that brings in a shortstop that you really like. I would have a hard time seeing when you start going down the line. What are the chances? And this is like fantasy baseball on fantasy mm-hmm. baseball. If you're going to take this out to another extent, do I really think that they can put Bo Bichette in a deal, get Soto, and then somehow find the prospects to trade and convince the Red Sox to give you Xander Bogarts in the same division? Uh, that's just sort of yeah. bending the reality that I'm willing to walk into right now. It's it's an interesting thought, yeah. but I just don't see something like that happening. Sticking with the Angels, Noah Syndergaard, the velocity dip a little. Yes. You know, there's some rumblings with the Jays that might be a fit. Be easier or harder to get him? You know, less of a name out of the minor league system is my point because of the velocity dip. Could they do it? I think they could. And I think, Kevin, for me, what's what's really interesting with Syndergaard is he's making around $20 million this season. So you, you take that into thirds, it's still a pretty significant amount mm-hmm. of money. And if the Jays are willing to take on all of the salary – then you probably don't have to give up the same level of prospect in return. I, I think with the Jays, it's still true. They have a good amount of infield prospects to move. And mm-hmm. Groshans, his numbers have been just okay. I think Tiedemann's having a really good year. Sure. And I think he is someone that the Jays are going to be very, very reluctant to give up. One thing about the Jays that I love from the standpoint of what they can actually do is, is they've got in, in Moreno a piece that I think is – extraordinary to offer around. If if I were Ross Atkins right now, uh, and, and I would not at all suggest that you would not have to give up Moreno to get Syndergaard. I want to be clear about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but if I'm Ross, I would call the other teams in Major League Baseball and say, I've got for you a potential all-star catcher. Very similar from where I sit to what Kiebert Ruiz was for the Dodgers last year. Mm-hmm. And Kiebert Ruiz got them a year and a half of Trey Turner and half a year of Scherzer. Mm-hmm. I would I would look around and say, okay, okay, Detroit Tigers, I would put Moreno in play if you gave us Tarek Skubal, who would be in my rotation for this year and for years to come. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of move I would make. Or in a rare contender-for-contender contender trade, Houston needs a catcher. Mm-hmm. Do you say, all right, Houston, I want Christian Javier. That To me, if you are trading a potential front-line catcher, which I believe Moreno is, at least at the very least he is a sure. league average or better starting yeah. catcher, that's a very – six years of that is incredibly valuable. And so with Houston and their 
pitching situation with with McCullers on his way back, they do have a surplus. Yeah. Now, how often do we ever hear the term pitching surplus? It's always very temporary, but the reality is they could move somebody if they really had to. And if James Click says, you know what, I don't want to give up one of my prospects, but I would give up a major league piece to help balance all of this out. I think to me, I think one of the biggest questions, and it's again, it's impossible for us to know exactly what the offer is everywhere, but I would think, and Ross probably knows this already, what is the market value of Moreno? Because when you've got an all-star in Kirk, I, I really, and I certainly, I appreciate the possibility you could have Kirk and Moreno on the roster for a long time. As long as you have Kirk mm-hmm. maybe doing some DH days, I get that. But if you have the ability, you, you could get a DH. You could trade for Josh Bell. You could sure, trade yeah. for a Christian Walker at some point in time. Just if you have a piece that can give you a starting pitcher controllable that you need like a Tarek Skubal, I would say Moreno to Detroit for Skubal is a really interesting concept that I think has – I think that it just has some value on both sides. Yeah, it's, it's interesting hearing you say that because part of me, I, you know, I've also wondered if I, – I, I think we've always thought that Ross's – approaches okay i'm gonna call on i'm gonna call in chicago and and what do you need for ian happ and uh david robertson i wonder if part of his discussion isn't calling up a team and saying hey what would you give me for moreno right right what what would you give me what would you give me for gabriel moreno and you know not market a guy i'm not in favor of using that phrase necessarily but if you can if you know what the market is for Moreno, now you can approach teams, right, to get your maybe more advanced piece. You can you can approach Chicago, and they say, we want Moreno. You go, well, yeah, but you know what? I know what his value is, and I've got more value with him for another team. I think that may be one of the reasons Ross has taken so long to make a, make a bullpen move this year, because last year he was aggressive with the bullpen. He certainly doesn't. He's certainly not afraid to trade prospects. We we saw that last year with Austin Martin, and we saw it this year as well with with Matt Chapman. And I wonder if that isn't now that you've mentioned this, if that maybe isn't part of the angle here. And also remember, we, uh, obviously, we just saw the Jays and Tigers play over the weekend. The Tigers, while not a very good team right now, do have a very good bullpen. Oh. And mm-hmm. so I take four four arms off that bullpen right now would be better than what I have in Toronto, other than Romano. Correct. I think so. When when you have that conversation. This is where there could be a, a nice foundation. Moreno plus maybe one more one yep. more prospect and then say, okay, Scooble plus a Joe Jimenez, Scooble plus a Fulmer. Michael Fulmer. And then you start to build out that deal, and, and there's a lot of value on both sides. How, how serious do you think the Marlins are with Pablo Lopez to give him up? I, I think he's available. The price is high. He's not pitching terribly great at mm-hmm. the moment, at least relative to where he started the season. So – I think he's available. Uh, I heard your conversation last segment about Kim Ang and what they want to do. They're kind of stuck because you look at their division and I had high hopes for them when the season began and they've kind of underwhelmed. You look at their division, they've got the defending World Series champion Braves, Mm -hmm. a team in the Mets that seemingly has no payroll limit, a team in the Phillies that is aggressive and still has some good pieces. They have to look at this and realize they're not terribly close to winning this division and probably start behaving accordingly and, and maybe not doing a rebuild, but sort of the express retool, I think, would be appropriate for the Marlins. So you're thinking there's better options for the Jays than Pablo yes, right now? I, I do. I, I think right now they probably have. I, I think he's a good pitcher. Sure. And and he started out the year fantastic. But I, I think that for the Jays, I would like to see them get a lefty. It's why I like Scooble so much for them. 
Get him a lefty who can probably stay in this rotation for a long time. You know, for me, too, I think big picture on the Jays, they've obviously had a very good month of July. And and one thing, it's it's fitting because we would talk a lot about the franchise during the course of the year and why maybe they were a little bit underwhelming early on. Some of their big acquisitions didn't perform that well. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened yesterday? Barrios pitched tremendously well through seven innings, and Chapman was the hero. And he's been playing great this entire homestand. Mm-hmm. So guess what? When the guys that you brought in play like they're supposed to, this is a pretty good baseball team. That's exactly what happened yesterday. Yeah. A couple of teams I want to ask you about. You mentioned Houston. Uh, so we take Houston off the table. The Boston Red Sox. And I'm going to go outside the box here a little bit. The San Francisco Giants. Because I've Barker and I have been going back and forward in this. And I, I think the Giants end up with one of Soto, Ertani, or Aaron Judge at some point. Mm-hmm. I, because the Giants, they need a guy. They need a superstar. They've got a very aggressive GM. Uh you know, they, the Giants have a way of going about things. So I want to talk to you about the Giants at the deadline and, and also the Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. So what do you, let's start with the Giants first. Sure. I think that it's, it's very good that you framed them in that same conversation, the same question, Jeff, because I think they're in similar positions. They're proud, yeah. per, you know, perennial winning franchises that right now are not having good seasons that are basically mediocre. Mm-hmm. They're not terrible. They're just okay right now. And the Giants are not just mediocre record-wise. They're searching for an identity. Yeah. There's no more Posey. He's retired. Crawford's been injured. Belt's been okay. But who are the Giants right now? Mm-hmm. I think that's a question that they're asking themselves. Who are we? And and the, the thing I mentioned this morning on MLB Network was, I think they're a sleeper team on Soto because what they could do is they could trade – Carlos Rodon or Belt or Austin Slater or Yastrzemski, whomever you want to, to choose there, and then replenish your farm system mm-hmm. and then go out and get Soto. Yeah. And and remember this about the Giants. They pursued Harper and probably finished second on Harper. They tried to trade for Stanton years ago and didn't. They're, and now they've lost Posey. They have sort of a spot in their lineup and their payroll for a superstar. This is a franchise that once had Barry Bonds. You, you go back over the, mm-hmm. over the decades, they've had some of the best players in the game. And I think that for the Giants' perspective, Soto, Judge, Otani, perfect choices for them. And I think Soto, if they can make this sort of two-step process, they have the prospects to, to make a Soto trade without that additional step, mm-hmm. but they'd feel better about their overall balance if they – if they went out, traded Rodon, trade Belt, and then your fans kind of accept it. They say, okay, yeah. well, I understand why we traded those guys because now we got one of the best players in the game. And I think the Boston, would they make a play for Otani in the offseason? Maybe. I think that's one team to watch there. But they're just they're too inconsistent to be able to compete with the Yankees right now, mm-hmm. or the Jays for that matter. And so that's why I think we're hearing Bogarts out there. We're hearing uh, J.D. Martinez, Christian Vasquez, I think those names, especially Martinez and Vasquez, make a lot of sense. I can't see them. I'm not. I know Barker and I, we have this argument. Why would they? I understand what's happened with Xander Bogarts, but there's also something about having a guy who's happy being in Boston, likes the city, embraces being the Red Sox, isn't, isn't afraid of the media scrutiny, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, I, for the life of me, can't figure out why they'd move either Bogarts or Devers. To well, me, you just sign those guys. You I just think, sign them. I think that to your point, Devers is the one they really want to sign. Right. So for me, if I'm a Red Sox fan, 
And if I'm looking at this team and saying, okay, I've seen four World Series championships this century. I know what a World Series championship team looks like. This is not it. Mm -hmm. And so they understand that. And they've also gone the boom to bust cycle and back again before where they've gone last in 2012 to first win the World Series in 13. So they understand how quickly a rebuild can go when it's done properly. And I think if they move Bogarts, if they move Vasquez, if they move JD, and then by getting young major leaguers who they believe are going to be able to earn a low salary and play well, that gives you the ability to offer Devers the 30 plus million dollar AAV to sign him. Because I think Devers for me, I love Bogarts, love Devers too. Mm-hmm. Devers is the one they really have to sign. I think that if Bo- if they sign Bogarts, it's great. But they've got to sign one of them. You cannot have, when you go back to that 2018 team, you are the Boston Red Sox. And you had on the same team Mookie Betts and Benintendi and Bogarts and Devers. And if you lose all of them yeah. by, 20, by the end of 2022 or 23, you're the Boston Red Sox. To me, that's, that is something they have to address, and I think they will. Would they trade Evaldi? In division. Probably. To the because, Blue Jays. Yeah. He's a rental. Yeah. He's got a pitch better, though. So so he, he, he throws just, hard. Yeah. He, so he starts tonight. I would say watch that start very carefully. Because he he was on the IL for a while. He came back. Mm-hmm. Like in his three starts, he's coming back from the IL. He's got like an 11 ERA. So he's not, sure. he's not pitching well. Yeah, but, the Jays lit him up. Yes. But. If he can go out there tonight against a quality team in Houston, I mean, what if you're the Blue Jays, if you're the Cardinals, any team that's looking to acquire him, Sure. what a perfect trade deadline showcase this is. It's on the road against a good lineup. It's going to be in the playoffs. Let's see how you do. If he's out after three innings tonight, his value, you, I think, has gone way down. Do you down. think that's a thing where GMs go, ah, I see what you're trying to get, and I'm going to get him first? Benintendi? Right. Well, I, I think that for me, I, a couple of things. Number one, they're all competitive, and I think sure. especially for a player that for a player that's evidently out there and available, like you're the Royals. Clearly, Benintendi was going to move and did for the Tigers. Michael Fulmer clearly was going to move and and will. I think that you know what, what we saw in the last couple of days probably his last outings in a Tigers uniform. We're here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're a rental pitcher or a rental player on a clearly losing team. Wilson Contreras also fits that description. It, it's apparent that you're going to go somewhere. And, I, and so I, I think that tonight, that game in Houston is going to be really crucial for the trade deadline to see how Evaldi looks. Because I, I'm not a big believer necessarily in, in the right now look at a player. But when a guy's been hurt, missed a bunch of time, he's come back, hasn't really been himself. Yeah. I need a sign that at least he's starting to find it. And and he has to at least look healthy and take you deeper into the game tonight. You know, Alex Anthopoulos was on this show last year during the World Series. Sorry, just after the World Series. And one of the points he made, and this is to your point, Sean, one of the points he made about the acquisitions, he said, our analytics people and our scouts did a good job of identifying who was playing well when we brought them in. Right. And if you look back, that one of the things about the Braves and their run is everybody came in and, I mean, they hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Right. They hit the ground running. And that, that is to your point about, yeah, I, I, you know, the, will that one start necessarily determine things? Well, the one start may convince a fence sitter to get off the fence. Right. And it's not just the numbers. And this is where 
I certainly we understand the place in the game that numbers have and they're important, but you're not trying to decide what the proper offer to make for a player is over the next six years. It's how does he look for the next six weeks? Right. I need to know to, to borrow one of our favorite soccer sayings form. Yes. What is the form of the current player? Yep. What is, what is the form when you pick your national team in soccer? It's all about the form right now. Yeah. This is about the form the player is in right now. And you get that by the scouts and not just the numbers, it's the body language. And this is where, Kevin, you, you know what this is like. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at a pitcher, how many times in the dugout do you say, this guy's good as, got his good stuff tonight, or he doesn't look comfortable? You can tell as a player, is he comfortable, is he not? And that I think that we're going to watch that tonight with Evaldi. Ian Happ would be one of those guys, two solid contacts. He's, he doesn't have a ton of it this year. Maybe you look at getting him a little cheaper. Maybe cost you more, not the high-quality prospects quantity uh, uh, prospects instead mm-hmm. of that. That may be what you're talking about, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. It's all about price and how their how their current, current form is. That's why I think this time of year, scouts have such an important role on their organizational Absolutely. framework. We are going to take a break and come back with more. With John Paul Morosi, it's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The Fan 360, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Blair and Barker. The Major League Baseball trade deadline is 6 o'clock Eastern tomorrow. Odd having it in the Tuesday, but uh, 6 o'clock Eastern tomorrow. And uh, we're very pleased to be joined by John Paul Morosi of the MLB Network. He will be part of our uh, part of our trade deadline coverage on Sportsnet. And as I mentioned, we uh, text line is not functioning, which is a good day for the text line to not function. Uh, but we uh, do have questions for Mr. Morosi and Barker. Now, uh, John, a lot, at the end of the show, we have this thing called Barker's Backleg Bits where we get people to ask Barker about a bunch of things and it doesn't necessarily have to do with Jeff baseball. Jeff interrupts and takes over the segment. Pretty much, and yeah. I provide translation. <laughs> I provide translation out of Virginia's to, uh, to the Queen's English. <laughs> to the Queen's English. like Gibby. But, uh, how, how often would you take a back leg swing, Kevin, back in the day? Was that, was that your At famous? least one at a bat. Okay. Well, you got to get frisky. All that work you're doing off the field, yeah. I try and translate that to on the field. I mean, I'm not going to waste it. That's right. I go up there, I get a hanging breaking ball, no matter what the count is. I'm going to try and lean back a little bit yeah. and create backspin. And, there you go. But velocity now would be hard to do that. Pinch hitting, though, what was what, what, did you always subscribe to the theory of never missing the first fastball? Was that No, always- I'm, see, I'm not that. If I can't hit a fastball in, why would I swing at it? Marquis Grissom used to always tell me that. So we get the first strike, you see. Well, what if I don't like the ball in? What if I don't like the ball away? Like the Blue Jays. Okay, if you're a right-handed hitter for the Blue Jays and you don't like the ball away, which they don't, like that's the easy thing, right? If you're miss, miss away off the plate, why go up and swing at it first pitch if I'm pitch hitting? So, you know, that that approach right. is you got to be real good at refining what you're trying to swing at. And, Interesting. Well, I tried to because, you know, it's grip. You listen to what he's saying. But then I got a little older and I started to come in 
be myself and figured out what I could and couldn't do. And mm. it's, it's almost like decent I, at it. I think not to digress too much away from the no, trade no. deadline, but I think one thing that I that I think is interesting, and Tom Verducci's talked about this too, is when you see hitters now, they often handle the OO count or even the one O count or the O one count in terms of selectivity. They they treat it almost as if it was a three O or a three one, where they they are keyholing it from the very beginning of the at bat, and it, unless it's their pitch, they're just not going to swing. Well, you at know, it. a lot of that is where you're hitting in the lineup. Right. Like you got to some occasionally, like the Blue Jays lineup, they guess a lot. Like Vladdy's a guesser, Bo's a big, a big guesser. He's a free swinger. Lourdes is a big guesser. Matt Chapman early in the season was a guesser. Like you got some guessers in the lineup, and no, no matter what the count is, you're going to sit something. And if you see it spinning out of the hand, that's what you see a lot of nowadays because of velocity and the shift. Is even if you see it spinning, no matter where it's at, they swing at it. If you've mm. noticed that, and that's because of velocity. Most guys can't get it down, let the ball travel, and hit it out of the catcher's mitt because velocity won't let, let you do that. If right. you do, you're either missing it or fouling it off. Right. So your approach is totally different when it comes to just mindset. For me, always look fastball. You can mm. never go wrong yeah. if you hit velocity, right? right. And so counts will dictate on what you swing at. When it right. comes to velocity, right? right? If I don't, like I mentioned, if I, I had a trouble with plate awareness, ball in off the plate gave me real issue. I'd swing at it, get myself out. Right. And that's why I didn't spend a ton of time at the big league level is because of that reason. Well, now early in counts, if you would lay off of something you didn't like, give that hitter or that pitcher a chance to mess up, mm-hmm. maybe flip you a get me over hanger, mm-hmm. something you can do damage on. So just the approaches have changed and guessing a lot of it de- depends on where you're hitting in a lineup. Right. And you're probably not many hitters in the game can be aware of the breaking ball first and then have time to still react to a fastball. Well, I think they'd like to tell you that. Like if you walk <laughs> yeah. up to Bo Bichette and said, hey, what do you look at? And he seems to think he can kick it to the ear, get it down, get it in the zone way back here and look breaking ball and hit a heater to right center. Yeah. It's almost impossible to do. Uh, you can't. Like, I, I, you know, occasionally you might, which gives him enough confidence to tell him mindset-wise, oh, I did it that one time that I can do it all the time. Well, that's why I said, look at Matt Chapman. He's a prime example of a guy early in the season is trying to do too much, cover everything. New team, you know, a defender first guy, elite defender, and what he gives you offensively, eh, right? And now all of a sudden he thinks he can hit because he's thinking velocity, thinking right center. And spin all of a sudden. And it's in an athletic position, right? So he's thought all these things true. I want to simplify it as much as I can and give myself a chance to hit a baseball because I know I'm a good defender, but I want to do things on both sides of the ball. I'm going to help my team. So I, I think sometimes they overthink it. Mm-hmm. Is a long-winded answer here. You've been around enough baseball sure. players. You walk up to them. You know, it's like the Josh Donaldson thing when we were in spring training, me and Jeff, and he'd walk by. It's like your head would pop off. Now, I can speak baseball <laughs> to most people, yeah. but listening to him talk and just, you know, he would have a – I know you've seen him in spring training. Like, he'd have a bat with a, the end of it taped up, the handle yeah. part where it's taped up, and he would. I'd ask him, which I shouldn't, I asked why you remember do that, that and it just went into like a 15-minute answer of this is why and it makes your hands feel this way, and I'm – Dude, a sea ball, hit ball. Right. I mean, I it's yeah. just my, not that my, simple so anymore. My, my, and then, well, we get back to the trade in a second, but my one little public service announcement, and I suspect that both of you, both of you would support this. I was uh, at one of my daughter's baseball games over the weekend, and and there, one of the other kids' parents is like, okay, back elbow up and stride here, and like all this. They're like 
seven and nine years old. Yeah. Like, like yeah. even the major league hitters cannot have four or five different sayings and mantras in their head at the same time. Mm -hmm. We have to be easy on our young people to just go up there. Maybe there's one thing you worked on hours before, and then after that say, hey, have go, fun. Go have fun. It's, go it's never, it's have never that time. easy. I found, I found... <laughs> I just, I just laugh and I was I, like, we can't do this. No, and, and this gets to something about the Blue Jays. Tucker Toman, the kid that they drafted and sure. signed. One of the things he said, very much like Bo Bichette, he said, we told organizations, this is what we're doing. And his dad is a, is, is, mm -hmm. I mean, he comes from a family of ball players and coaches. Right. This is what we're doing. Same thing Dante Bichette and the Bichette family said. Bo's going to do this. If you're okay with it, yeah, we'll consider signing. If not, don't even bother picking him. And Tucker Toman was the same. He's been, like, for two weeks before the draft, was liking uh, anything linking him to the Blue Jays. We had an interview with Callis. He was liking the interview with Callis because Callis had him going. <laughs> and as he came out and said, he said, yo, we talked to the Blue Jays. This is what I'm going to do. And they said, okay. And one of the reasons that we wanted to go to the Blue Jays is they do have this philosophy of, yeah, it works for you. Let's, you know, have at it. We'll make suggestions, but if this is working for you and this is where you want to go, have at it. And that was the same thing with Bo. It's that, it sounds like Don't that was change these guys. Right. That was exactly, I think, what Kevin was doing before his draft. When all the, all the experts were, were doing analysis about it, you were liking it on Twitter, right, Absolute, everybody? Absolutely yeah. not. Actually, I was supposed to be drafted by Detroit in the first round. And I didn't, so I was chapped. There was wow. there, even if I'd have had Twitter, there would have been no tweeting. <laughs> it, 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 it would have been a bad tweet. It would have been, been a bad tweet. Angry tweeting. Angry tweeting. Wait, wait, before you move on, yeah. Josh Dawson, I mentioned him. He's having a bad time in, in New York. What do you think happens to him? You know, that's a great question. Um, and of course, with their team overall, they can play LeMahieu at third. They sure. can play Torres, even if they had to over there. I, I think he probably stays there at least through the end of the season. I'd be surprised if they moved him today or tomorrow mm -hmm. um, because he does have some playoff experience. I still would look at him in October and think he could do some damage for us in the series against against Houston, against the National League The lefty, champion. the thrifty. Yeah, yeah I, I, just, I think for me, he's he still gives you a chance in October, and that's what the Yankees are all about right now. Does he help us win in October? I don't think they trade Josh today or tomorrow. Mm. Uh, okay, right. Let's go to the uh, DMs and uh, for Barker's back leg bits. Barker Morosi extended version of back leg bits. Uh, oh, well, you got to use it. You got to use it. We got it. Who's this guy? Is this been? A t I don't remember. There's been so many people on this show. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, I can't remember who that was. I got a brain cramp about that. Uh, it's Barker's back leg base Anderson. at that time. Is, oh, who? Brian Anderson. Brian Anderson. That's okay. who it was. Uh, where we uh, solicit questions from uh, listeners or viewers. Uh, Bob Duncan, uh, Bob from Bowmanville, Yankees fan. I'm going to go to him right away because it just happened to land in my box. Can you please ask John if the Yankees are truly not willing to give up Anthony Volpe? It's a great question. It appears right now, with respect to to Soto, that the answer is no. That they're not going to give up Volpe in a in a Soto deal, and that that's why they're probably not going to be one of the key players there. I, I think if if the Yankees were serious about Soto, they would not have traded for Benintendi when they did. Mm -hmm. And the signals are, and that now they've got two shortstops. They've got Volpe and Peraza. 
I think they maybe view Volpe as being a little closer to the major leagues than Peraza, but they're both very good. I think that with that outfield, and certainly now having Benintendi replace Gallo, it's it's hard for me to say, well, you're going to bring in Soto, play him in right field, and then where does Judge go? Where does Stanton go? It, it just it complicates matters. He, he's not as natural a fit with the Yankees as he is with either the Cardinals or the Padres or even the Dodgers, for that matter. Like, that's that's one of the great ironies here with Soto and the Dodgers. This is not just some case of the Dodgers' largesse shaping the trade deadline. He fits their team. Yep. Mm-hmm. You look at it because Trey Turner's a free agent after the year's over. They can non-tender Cody Bellinger. Muncie hasn't really hit that well. They need a lefty bat. Yeah. He's there. I mean, like, he makes sense for the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's why we're talking oh, about Oh, by the so way, much. I can stick it to the Padres. Oh, uh, I know. Yet again. <laughs> Greg wants to know about the Jays adding quality left-handed bat, and he's thrown out some names. Ian Happ, obviously, mm-hmm. Bell. I think Greg was the guy that ran out Jock Peterson the other day, and he said if the Jays, first of all, do you see the Jays being in on guys like that? Secondly, if they were to get them, who would lose playing time? And then he answers his own question. I mean, obviously, there's Zach Collins or Bradley Zimmer, but he was wondering if there would be less playing time for somebody like Toppy and Biggio as a result of that. So let's talk mm-hmm. about the left-handed bats. Jock Peterson. Sure. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, he's actually on the injured list at the moment, um, so that that might uh, affect things a little bit. Uh, but I, I I do like Peterson as a fit. I, I would generally look more at a player like Bell uh, or Hap because I think you get a little bit more defensive well, defensive versatility with, with Hap. And then with Bell, it's more of the DH first base spot, which I think is a more natural spot to add unless, unless you're going to move Guriel or Teoscar in the deal. Then I think it makes a little more sense for it to be an outfitter. I, I just, I, I mean, certainly Peterson would help, but I would, I would a little bit rather have Hap because mm-hmm. of the number of different places I could play him. And I think Bell is just that true, true power bat at the DH first base spot where you could sort of, you know, give days off to Vladdy here and there and just keep him over there. Springer being hurt, change anything Ross does. Uh, I, that's a great question. I think a little bit, and that's where Hap can play center field. Yeah. So for me, Hap is left-handed. He plays center field. Is he good enough center fielder? Do you think adequate? And I think too, at, at Rogers Center, it's once you sort of get past the dome issues and and maybe the sight lines, it's not a huge center field to have to run around. It's not like playing center field in Detroit or San Francisco mm-hmm. in years gone by, where I, I think that I think that Hap could handle if you if you could handle the wind at Wrigley. You can probably handle Roger Center. Justin from Millbrook First Nation in Nova Scotia wants to talk about Gabriel Moreno. And he's interested in which team would be the perfect fit for Gabriel Moreno. In other words, which major league team? You you talked about Houston. Martin Maldonado is getting up there. Which major league teams would look at Moreno and go, there's our catcher. There's our catcher of the future. Houston for me just is is a natural fit because they have of, nobody in the because system. of their need because of their immediate need and their ability to trade the pitching this that's to me I I just love I'm gonna have to think on this a little bit more today a possible Houston Toronto trade that involves major league pieces I think is a really really interesting concept uh, Detroit uh, they they believe they've got Dylan Dingler coming to be their catcher of the future. So they might be a little reluctant, uh, but I, I still think Moreno makes a lot of sense for them. So I, I would say Houston, number one, Detroit, number two. Um, and then there are some teams that maybe 
are still searching for who that next catcher mm-hmm. of, the, of the future would be. I, I think even Boston to a degree. Right now they've got Ploiecki and Vasquez. They might trade Vasquez. So perhaps that's a, that's a spot as well. Jason of Vancouver, Jason Bingley. How much do teams' preseason expectations determine their strategies at the deadline? He's talking about the Red Sox and Orioles mm-hmm. in partic- particular. Mm-hmm. People in Boston think they should sell the 500 record where a team like the Orioles and Guardians may want to make a push for a wild card spot because of a 500 record that not many expected at the deadline. Do you think general managers change their opinions of their team dramatically? They can. In the first half. And I think, Jeff, the other important equation and this is something i always go back to at this time of year when we ask larger picture questions about organizations and and why they do what they do the answer is often one of two things a it's what the owner wants and b money often those two things are related but to your point the external expectations matter but the pressure on you from ownership probably matters more if you're a gm and you're A.J. Preller and you're in San Diego and ownership has been expecting a breakthrough for a long time and you have to deliver it, there's pressure there. If you're Jerry DePoto in Seattle sitting on the longest playoff throughout North American pro sports, 21 years and counting, you're going to make the move for Luis Castillo. That to me is much more, uh, I think that the ownership pressure is much more determinative. And I'll say this, on the Orioles standpoint, mm. They've got their fans believing for the first time mm. after years of losing and irrelevance. In my view, I have a much easier time saying Baltimore should buy than the White Sox should buy. The White Sox have been an, a mediocre team yep. for a long time. And I just think that they – I see very little with the White Sox that tells me they're about to break through and beat the Yankees in a playoff series. Right. I just don't see it. The, the Jays, to me – They've had sort of the Jays and White Sox are somewhat the same in that they both had mediocre starts to the season. But the Jays have shown me over the last month of who they are. The White Sox have basically been at 500 a game, game or two either way for months. They're just, they're a mediocre team, and so I, I think the White Sox should sell. I think the Orioles should buy, and the Red Sox because I realize they had some higher expectations this season, but their fans have seen them successfully take the team apart and build it you back up. You said the O should buy. Yes, or at least hold. Or at yeah, least at least better. not trade Mancini. Absolutely not. Or, or or if you want to add a – they're a team that, for example, if I'm Baltimore, I call the Tigers on Tarek Skubal. It's not just buying. It's who you buy. If you have a controllable piece for four years, technically that's that's buying. I mean, you might say that you're – if you're going to trade a piece to bring in Skubal – or someone that's controllable for a while, Zach Plesak even, uh, I think, would fit that description. Do it. But but bring in someone who is a who's a sustainable long-term piece for your franchise, and that's the kind of player the Orioles should be buying. Uh, last question. Uh, actually, it's a really good question. I'm glad it just arrived. Michael in Winnipeg wants to know, says, John, as a national writer, what was the national view of the decision to fire Charlie Montoya? Hmm. That is a good question. Um, I, I think... It was a it was a decision that when you looked at it at a remove and where their expectations were made sense. It made sense to me on a certain level just because their their performance was so was so lacking. By basically, mm-hmm. I remember we talked about this before. Yeah. Looking at their roster, I think every regular player was at a league average level or, or below, with the exception of Springer and Kirk. 
You needed more out of Vlad, out of Bo, out of Chapman, out of Gurriel, out of Teoscar. Like you just needed, you needed more. And I think that was that decision to me said the front office looked at the team and believed we've got the right players. We need more from these players. We need more than they're giving us. And and there were maybe some things where little things were being missed, whether it was base running mistakes fundamentals sort of lacking and, and Kevin can speak to what it's like when, when you're on a team that has purpose mm-hmm. that is in rhythm that is making plays and playing good defense like the Yankees have been basically all season long that team the Dodgers is another example they look a certain way they sure. play with pace and they take advantage like the series the Jays just played against Detroit they looked in rhythm for a long time this year, they did not. Yeah. They were not making fundamental plays. They were missing stuff. They were missing things. And the bullpen management was suspect. They just, the pieces were not adding up. And that's why, Kevin, for me, you've been on teams that have sure. that have underperformed or overperformed. I just think that team was underperforming, and that was the that was it, the way I responded. It that, was that do your job, hold everybody accountable. Right. Not just certain people. Right. Everybody. Right. And for me, it didn't sound like Charlie was doing that. Right. That's the big deal. All right. We've got a couple of minutes left. I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. 625. I don't know. You'll probably be in Tim and Friends or something like that. 625 tomorrow. What are we going to be looking at with the Toronto Blue Jays? I think they will have gotten a starting pitcher, whether it's Evaldi, whether it's Montas. Uh, I, I, that might be – Evaldi might be extreme because it's in division. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the class of, mm-hmm. of pitchers that they're looking at. Or I, 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 I think there's a, a very good chance. I'm not going to say better than 50-50 – but I think a legitimate chance that they would have made a deal with the Tigers for a reliever because they've just seen those relievers in person always sort of helps that they've had to look at the way that team looks. And I think they've got some good information. And by the way, the relievers who made the trip to Toronto, you know that they're all able to make the trip to Toronto. That, that's a very important aspect. That and, is a really and good everybody point. except for Andrew Chafin made the trip. So you think it's both a starter, a reliever. It's not two you relievers. You can make it in the same you can make it in the same deal and you, you might be able to get a second reliever. I, I think that the 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 relief market, Kevin, always moves late. And so I, I think we'll see that happen tomorrow afternoon. I think it, it's kind of fun that it's a six PM deadline. It's later than usual. A little more activity, a little more time. I, I do think the Jays get, I would say, a starter and at least one reliever by 6 p.m. tomorrow. It'll be interesting. There'll be a lot of guys leaving Major League Clubhouses tomorrow. No question. Tomorrow. Yep. You know Moving who's going to have the busiest day tomorrow? Clubbies. The traveling secretaries, Clubbies too. and traveling secretaries, <laughs> man. They're going to have to be all over it. Mr. Morosi, thank you very awesome. much for doing Thanks, this. Uh, thanks, Kevin. John Paul Morosi will be part of Sportsnet's coverage leading up to the trade deadline tomorrow at 6 o'clock and uh, after the trade deadline as well. We will be back tomorrow from 10 to noon Eastern. A reminder, the Jays have today off. Stay tuned to Sportsnet or sportsnet.ca for all your trade deadline coverage. Thanks so much for joining us. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.